0: Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Childs, Alan Sellers, and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is on standards and healthcare.
1: Hello, my name is Matthew Childs, and I am with Cindy Parakill.
0: Hi, Matthew.
1: We've gotten there's no Alan this week. We are Alanless. But Cindy, how are
0: you? I'm very well, thanks, Matthew. This time, I'm speaking to you from the same city.
1: You're not. I'm back, in
0: London. Yes. I'm back in London, and I actually just finished my 10 days of self-isolation. I can't wait to step out. And yes, before you ask, um, to start running again.
1: So you decided to swap the clean Austrian mountain air for West
0: London? <laughs> Yes, it's high time for a change. I've stocked up on my crisp air supply to last me till summer, at the least. (laughs) No, I really look forward to being back in London.
1: Now, in the last episode, Cindy, you regaled us with the delights of Vienna's famous coffee houses, the amazing architecture and pastries. So I Mm -hmm. suppose the big question now is, is West London strudel up to standard?
0: The jury is still out on that one. I have been spoiled with some decadent Viennese apple and topfin strudels over the last months. Light layers of puff pastry with a filling of apple or cream cheese baked to golden perfection and finally dusted off with some icing sugar. Do I hear some rumbling stomachs? (laughs) (laughs) Safe to say that my organoleptic standard is quite high for strudels. Any recommendations on where I can get some good strudel, Matthew? Or actually, our keen listeners may have some suggestions for the best strudel in town. If yes, do send them over. I will be on a hunt for the best strudel and we'll keep you posted.
1: Yes, it's a good idea. Send your Cindy strudel suggestions to education (laughs) at bsigroup.com. But uh, just backing up there, Cindy, organoleptic? What's that? (laughs) That's a new one on me.
0: You heard me right. Um, organoleptic testing is basically a full six sense assessment of food products. Now, Matthew, after the recent government announcement, I take it you're still drunk from your ongoing household celebrations as I hear kids are going back to school.
1: Yes, you are right. The bunting has been out here for, for a few days now, although Charlie B has already told me she's not going back ever. So we'll have to cross that particular bridge next week. Uh, But it will come as as, as, a great relief to us, as I'm sure many parents and carers Mm -hmm. will agree when they finally go back. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this is, you're right, this is the good news that schools are returning uh, in England from the 8th of March with slightly different dates for the rest Mm -hmm. of the devolved nations. Um, This was announced as part of the UK government's rowback to some sort of normality. And obviously comes mm-hmm. at the same time as the corresponding and quite frankly hugely successful and impressive COVID vaccination program here in the UK. At the time of recording, the latest figures for first dose immunization stand at a whopping 21 million, which is an incredible success.
0: Oh wow. Now,
1: this is all topical okay. and relevant because in today's episode we're looking at standards and healthcare. Now, healthcare is obviously a major public policy issue. For government and the private sector, funding for and investment in healthcare products and services is significant. Figures from the Office for National Statistics here in the UK show that the total healthcare expenditure in 2018, the most recently confirmed figures, was an amazing £214 billion. And this accounted for 10% of GDP in 2018, compared with 9.8% in 2017. And pre-pandemic, the NHS budget alone was £145
0: billion. And on the global stage, spending on healthcare continues to rise. Figures from the World Health Organization show that it was 7.8 trillion US dollars in 2017, or about 10% of GDP, up from 7.6 trillion US dollars in 2016. And also that the health sector continues to expand faster than the economy generally. Between 2000 and 2017, Global health spending in real terms grew by 3.9% a year, while the economy grew 3% per year.
1: The global pandemic means that healthcare provision and the issues associated with it have been thrown into even sharper relief. COVID-19 has reinforced the need for a resilient global healthcare system. And to be honest, we've spoken about the pandemic a lot on the podcast, whether it be around standards, such as in episode four, when we looked at the emerging safe working guidelines, which have now become an international standard, ISO PAS 45,005, or our own personal experiences. The pandemic has reminded us that the backbone of economic growth is a healthy population, without which disruptions become a constant. COVID-19 has also highlighted the depth of global interconnectivity and the need for international solutions underpinned by trust and accountability.
0: Standards have been involved in every step of the COVID-19 recovery path, starting with ensuring safely manufactured medical supplies and personal protective equipment are produced and available, then sustaining the operation of trade within essential value chains, In terms of testing, maintaining reliable standards in laboratory testing of samples, as well as the international recognition of test results. And finally, the creation and administration of vaccines. In the field of healthcare, where accuracy and quality equate to a matter of life and death, standards play a huge role in building trust. With the world heavily investing in digital health, where approximately 43 billion US dollars is being spent per year globally, we are moving towards a data-driven healthcare system where patient data security becomes quintessential. Once again, standards offer a solution.
1: Now we're exploring this important relationship between standards and healthcare with Rob Turpin, head of sector for healthcare here at BSI. We spoke to him first back in episode eight, about how BSI supports student research projects. But for this episode, Rob takes us on a standards tour of the healthcare sector. As well as COVID-19, he talks about the key drivers of change in the sector and the interplay with standards, including the implications of Brexit on the regulation of medical devices. He also tells us about how BSI is working with the NHS on carbon reduction and improving overall population health.
0: Now, it's normally at this time we ask Alan for his Standards Desk of News.
1: While there is no Alan, we are alan But fear not, we still have the Standards <laughs> Desk of News. The headlines this week. Batteries boost for electric vehicles and public transport go smart. BSI has published new standards as part of the Faraday Battery Challenge standardisation programme to help support the UK's electric vehicle capability. The standards are an important step towards helping prepare for the phasing out of diesel and petrol vehicles by 2030 and supporting the UK's wider transport decarbonisation and net zero by 2050 ambitions. The standard PAS 7060 gives guidance for the health, safety and environmental considerations in the process of vehicle design, battery integration and battery use for electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids. And PAS7060 gives recommendations for the health, safety, environmental performance and quality management in the manufacture of battery cells for electric vehicles. The Faraday Battery Challenge, which is backed by the UK Government, invests in research and innovation projects and new facilities to scale up and advance the production, use and recycling of batteries. And Sticking with the issue of transport, there are two new standards on smart transportation out now for public comment. ISO 37181 provides guidelines for the successful introduction and organisation of autonomous vehicles. Addressing the issues of both public and private transport, it aims to enhance the safety of transport on public roads and address city challenges such as ageing populations and diverse travel demands. ISO 37168 aims to help industry, government and society to share useful guidance in the stage implementation of automated shuttle and delivery services, with a special focus on demand-responsive passenger services. The idea behind this standard is that it will help to accelerate innovation and deliver smart transportation in cities. Get commenting now and help shape how these standards develop. Now, as always, you can find links to the Standards Desk of News Stories in the episode notes. And just to say, we'll be covering standards and transport in a future episode. Here's me with a quick reminder that for more information on BSI education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. This link and others on the themes raised in this episode can be found in the episode notes do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIedpod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And the story for this episode is about standards and healthcare. Our guest today is Rob Turpin, Head of Sector for Healthcare at BSI. For the past eight years, he has led on the strategic standardisation approach for the role that BSI has in supporting policy, productivity, and innovation in the healthcare system. His key areas of interest include medical technology, NHS policy and innovation, and population health. But we started by asking Rob about something we talked about the last time he was on the podcast. Rob, welcome back to the podcast. Now, we spoke with you back in episode 8 with a group of UCL students about how BSI supports student research. One of the students told us an amazing story about how they'd met someone with a BSI kite mark tattoo. Now, we joked back then that maybe it's a 20th anniversary thing for BSI staff to get kite mark tattoos. It's your 20th BSI work anniversary this year, Rob. So the big question is, where did you decide to put your kite mark tattoo?
2: So the short answer to this is it's not been done yet. Um, There are a couple of things in mitigation. So first of all, I've not quite reached that 20 year anniversary. There's still um, a few more months to go, so I'm not quite there. Um, But also the current lockdown, uh, it's prevented me from leaving my house for anything non-essential. So I've just not been able to get out at the moment.
1: Now, Cindy, I don't think that's a no to be quite honest. So I think I'm looking forward to this. That was definitely a, when I can get out and go to a tattoo parlor, then it's the first thing I'll do. But so I'm looking forward to that, Rob. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah. We should probably
0: schedule schedule another episode on this.
2: (laughs) I can see this is going to be revisited later in the year, isn't it?
0: Exactly. So Rob, COVID-19 has been a huge global issue and we've talked a lot about it on the BSI EdPod. From your perspective, what has been BSI and the standards community's response to COVID-19?
2: So clearly COVID-19 had a massive impact on the entire healthcare system and this is still something that's ongoing. Um, and from a BSI standards perspective, we found the pandemic had a significant impact on at least half of the activities that we'd planned to undertake during 2020. There were a number of things we were completely unable to do, you know, particularly around engagement with the NHS, that completely ground to a halt. However, there were a number of ways that we could respond to the pandemic. Uh, And in the early stages um, from March 2020, one of the things we did was to create a number of freely available standards collections that were aimed at supporting immediate challenges that were faced by governments, businesses and the UK population at that time. Now, these included things such as the, the supply of ventilators and respiratory components that were in uh, wide shortage at the time as part of the ventilator challenge. Uh, there was a lot of discussion around personal protective equipment, so uh, standards that cover the testing of face masks, medical gloves, protective clothing. Uh, we also looked into the hygiene standards area, so um, mm. where you're looking at bacterial, fungal, and viral test methods, um, the processing of uh, cleaning of healthcare products, and the management of clean environments. And we also had a collection of uh, business standards, so business continuity, risk management, resilience, and emergency management standards. Um, and these standards collections contained, uh, I guess, up to about 50 standards each. So they were formed out of discussions we had with key contacts across uh, the relevant government departments. And and they were updated periodically over the course of last year, uh, according to feedback that we got from from the public and from industry and from the government. Um, And the collections are still available and accessible on the BSI website for the time being. And we're actually discussing next steps with the relevant government, government agencies at the moment.
0: That's really fascinating. It's clearly been an extremely busy time for BSI and the standards community. And how well has the BSI response to COVID-19 been received?
2: So anecdotally, when I've been talking to people, we've had uh, very positive feedback from government organizations, from industry and from innovators who've been using these standards to solve particular challenges uh, and with a degree of urgency. Uh, But we also have information on the numbers and types of organisations who have accessed these standards collections. And we've recently initiated some research to establish how these standards have helped them over the last 12 months or so. So I think there's, there's definitely more to do in that space in terms of building that picture.
1: Now, Rob, you are Head of Healthcare Sector for BSI. I just wonder, could you desc- describe the healthcare sector for us from, from a standards perspective? Um, I'm thinking here, you know, does BSI look at all aspects of healthcare or is it only part of the sector that we look at?
2: Okay, yeah. So, um, you're, you're quite right. The healthcare sector is vast and it's complex. And so, at a very high level, I like to break it down into three areas. Firstly, there's the life science supply chain. So this is medicines, medical technologies, diagnostics, and digital solutions. Uh, And these are manufactured and deployed across an array of different global markets. And then secondly, we have healthcare providers. So here I'm thinking about the NHS and private services um, who are made up of general practice, hospital, community, adult social care services, and so on. And for healthcare providers, our focus is purely at a UK wide level. Um, if we started looking internationally, um, our task would just become too fast. Uh, and then the final area uh, covers the impact of external influences on health and well-being of our population. So it's recognized that many health outcomes are impacted by non-medical aspects of our lives. so things like nutrition, how much exercise we take and the environment we live in. Uh, And this area is broadly aligned to the UN Sustainable Development Goal number three that covers health and well-being. Um, And in terms of what we look at, so across the healthcare system, there are many drivers that impact on it. But there are four really important ones that form the main focus of our standardisation work. And these relate to patient safety issues. So particularly where standardisation can form part of a system-wide response to improving safety. Uh, secondly, around the long-term plan for a sustainable national health service in the UK and how uh, how it will create a model that's fit for purpose in the 21st century. The third driver is around uh, UK transition from the EU and particularly the impact this has on medical device regulation, which is um, one of the core topics, of one of the core focus areas that we work in. And then finally, I think it's the, the emergence of digitisation. Uh, with the massive investment that's being made to utilize data for better patient outcomes and to drive efficiency across healthcare systems.
0: Thanks, Rob. Thanks for filling us in on the four main drivers of the healthcare sector. So from your perspective, what are the main areas of focus for standards in healthcare right now?
2: Okay, so we have four main focus areas for standardization in healthcare at the moment, and Mm -hmm. these align to the key drivers that I've just described. The first of these relates to navigating medical device regulatory changes. So standards are an integral part of the conformity assessment procedures that ensure any devices placed onto the market are safe and that they perform properly according to their intended use. New regulations are coming into force in Europe later this year, and regulations in Great Britain, but interestingly not Northern Ireland at this time, will start to diverge from these. So there's an opportunity for us to provide clarity around the standards landscape as these new regulations are established. We're working closely with the medical devices regulator in the UK, MHRA and other relevant bodies to ensure that the designation of standards is completely understood as this regulatory process starts to change. Then the, the second area of focus um, is partially also related to the UK leaving the EU. And it's about building strengths in the UK life sciences sector. Mm-hmm. So that it remains an attractive place to do business. I guess with this, there's always a danger that if, if we didn't do this, then the UK could become a secondary market for innovation. Um, So there's a lot of government investment in this space to make sure this doesn't happen. Um, Currently, we're seeing a massive amount of investment and focus on building infrastructure for data-driven healthcare. And data-driven healthcare is all about utilising personal health records and associated patient data uh, and images from individuals to create solutions that provide earlier or quicker diagnosis of disease, or can target the best treatments towards each patient. Or actually it can even help hospital services become more efficient by maybe removing some of the burdensome tasks that clinicians have to undertake. So it frees up their time to undertake more, you know, more complex analysis. Um, and so a good example of where this is currently happening is with chest x-rays of COVID-19 patients. Um, an algorithm can be trained on historic data relating to these types of x-rays, um, alongside information about what eventually happened to each patient. And this algorithm can then be used to predict the best way to treat people in future when they come into hospital. So this provides better outcomes because the hospital can plan its workflows a lot better in terms of where it moves patients around and how it treats them, which ultimately results in better care for the patient. Mm-hmm. The third area we're focused on um, relates to advancing the NHS so that it meets future needs and demands. And and in this area, we've got to be really mindful of the impact that the pandemic has had on the NHS and the current pressure the healthcare system finds itself under. However, despite all this, the the NHS is still pushing forward with many of its long-term goals for reform that were set up prior to the pandemic. Um, And there are a number of ways, I think, that standards can support this at at a national level, but also uh, locally and within an individual hospital setting. Uh, There's probably two key areas in this space that we we are are working on at the moment. So the first of these is where our standards can address patient safety issues. Uh, So, for example, in responses to recommendations that are being set out by organisations such as the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch. Um, and where they're looking at system-wide failures of safety. So so things that should never happen within hospitals, but actually continue to happen over a period of time um, and potentially can be a risk to to patient life. And I guess the second area is in the area of carbon reduction uh, in the healthcare system, where a number of interventions will be needed in order to achieve some very ambitious net zero emissions targets over the coming years. Our final focus area is around population health, which is all about promoting wellness, preventing illness where possible, and reducing some of the health inequalities that exist. So this is a priority for both the National Health Service and wider government. And there are already a number of initiatives underway aimed at improving well-being across society.
0: Ever wondered how standards are made or who gets to make them? Why standards are numbered the way they are and who gets to choose these numbers? Or maybe you have a burning question about standards related to your job or the sector in which you work. Well, this is your chance to ask the BSI Education Podcast and we will get your questions answered. All you have to do is record your question via audio message and send it to education at bsigroup.com. We'll put the best ones to a panel of experts in a future episode, so stay tuned. That's really interesting, Rob. Um, I'd actually like to learn a bit more about the last two points you made on carbon reduction um, and net zero in the NHS, as well as the wider population health, um, specifically where BSI can contribute.
2: Starting with carbon reduction, this is an area we've only really started looking at um, in the last few months, but already we're, we're starting to see a number of areas where standardisation will be needed to address challenges in the system. Uh, there was a report published in October uh, October 2020 um, that highlighted that the NHS is accountable for somewhere between 4 and 5% of all of the UK carbon emissions. And so they've set themselves some really challenging targets to become greener and to work towards becoming net zero. Uh, In January, I ran a healthcare webinar as part of the BSI net zero week. And I was really astonished by the high level of interest. So over 500 participants, and we had some really good speakers giving their perspectives of carbon emission reduction from clinical government policy and hospital infrastructure backgrounds. I think there are several opportunities for standards to support net zero healthcare that we want to explore further. Um, And I guess for me, these broadly fit into three buckets at the moment. So the first of those is that um, a large proportion of carbon reduction will be achievable through improvements to hospital buildings and hospital facilities. There's already a connection between NHS building guidelines, and the BSI standards collection. So we've got several hundreds of our standards already cross-referenced in, in uh, building guidance. And this gives us a really good entry point, I think, for a wider discussion around carbon reduction and achieving net zero across NHS buildings. Secondly, one of the things that came out of the, the recent NHS report was they will be asking their supply chain to do a lot more to reduce carbon and this will be by ensuring that medicines and technologies um, and other product and service providers are working towards becoming net zero. And this is, this is obviously going to open up a massive debate around how do you recognise a supplier who is actively reducing their carbon footprint, um, but actually may not offer the cheapest solution. So I think there's a lot more to come in this space. Uh, I mean, BSI involvement could involve standards and guidance that that help the supply chain prepare effectively for uh, for net zero in a healthcare context. And we're already starting to see some momentum with this discussion. Um, uh, And certainly, even within the next couple of months, I've got some conversations in this space. The final area relates to engagement with clinicians and the environment. For example, there is a growing interest amongst general practitioners and doctors who believe uh, that they are, as they are a highly trusted profession, they really should be taking the lead in healthcare carbon reduction. So I think potentially there's an opportunity for BSI to draw on our cross sector knowledge by distilling information relating to greener practices into something that could be digested by healthcare professionals.
0: So, Rob, um, and zooming in into the last point, which was on wider population health, could you fill us in a bit more on that?
2: Our aim is to utilise the breadth of BSI's cross-sector knowledge to help policymakers, businesses, and society in general address some of the long-standing critical challenges that we see relating to health and well-being, um, inequalities in healthcare, um, and I guess potentially also. Um, continue with any urgent responses in relation to the the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, A key aspect of this does involve researching the trends and cross-sector influences that address longstanding population health challenges uh, so that BSI can start to build thought leadership materials to drive the discussion around this topic. But we also wanna consider how BSI can address unmet needs in the National Health Service and the wider social care system. A good example of this is where uh, we're proposing to work with the NHS to deploy our forthcoming PAS standard that covers building design for people who experience neurodiversity. So at the moment, there's plenty of uh, guidance out there on how to design a building so that it provides access for for people who have physical impairments. Uh, But there's nothing that covers design for... Dementia and people with autism, for example. So, you know, there's there's definitely gaps like that uh, that can be filled that, that reduce inequalities. And uh, I think the other thing in this space is there's an opportunity for us to further develop our global leadership role in ISO. We already run the secretariat of an ageing societies technical committee, um, and that's already using some of our uh, nationally developed content as seed documents for international standards. Uh, So some work we did on dementia-friendly communities is an example of of where we've taken that from a national level, um, and that's that's now working towards becoming an international standard. I think that's something we would look to continue going forward.
1: Rob, you've given us a fantastic tour there. Of the, of the sort of main areas of focus for, for standards in healthcare right now. You've talked about the global context of, of medical device regulations, advances in data-driven healthcare, issues around carbon reduction and net zero in the NHS, and then the sort of wider population health issues and promoting prevention rather than, than treating illness. I just wonder, as a, as a final thought, you know, where do you see healthcare going in the future?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, because I've actually been thinking a lot about this recently. Uh, and the trends, I think, seem to be taking us from a present-day situation where we're mainly focused on treating illnesses to a, a future healthcare system that's built around promoting wellness and, you know, and, and trying to keep people out of hospital. So you can already see this shift uh, emerging across the focus areas that BSI is working in. You know, For example, uh, new medicines, technologies, data-driven solutions are being used uh, to identify health conditions much earlier and therefore try and keep people out of hospital or, or you know, utilize the hospital system as little as possible. Um, we're starting to see new models of care being introduced that start to join together local health services in a more seamless manner um, and provide better collaboration and understanding between the different organizations and components of the healthcare system. So typically in a, in a local region that might may be made up of, you know, one and a half million uh, population, uh, traditionally you might have five clusters of general practice, five hospitals, and five local authorities and a few other organisations. So maybe up to 20 organisations that traditionally all competed against each other, and it's about bringing all of these together so that everything is much more joined up. Um, and I think we're also becoming a lot more aware of climate change and external factors that um, have an impact on our health. So I think those are those are really the three areas uh, that, that are going to sort of drive uh, this change, moving from treating illness to promoting wellness. I noted recently on the BBC News uh, that one in three emergency admissions to hospitals involved people who already had five or more long-term health conditions and with the financial pressure that the healthcare system's under and and the fact that we're all living longer um, it's inevitable that this can't be sustained. So in future we're all going to have to start uh, to take a greater responsibility in managing our wellness while ensuring we've still got a healthcare system that can support us when it's needed.
0: You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education.
2: You just heard a Stripped Media production.